welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep our history alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis. Many of the traditional features of the English countryside, such as dry stone walls and hedge banks, were originally created and maintained by rural craftsmen, using the skills that were passed from father to son. In recent years, these skills have been at risk of being forgotten. The Devon Rural Skills Trust was established in 1980 with a view to safeguard the future of those traditional skills, while the men and women who practiced them were still able to pass on their knowledge. During this time, the Trust has trained thousands of people, providing them with the skills and knowledge to practice traditional rural skills. One of those people is Chris Baker, the Trust's publicity officer. We reached him at his home in Devon. Chris, tell me a little bit about the Devon Rural Skills Trust. What is it and how did it get started? It's a very small charity. It's based in Devon, obviously, um, which um, is a county in the southwestern corner of England, on that peninsula in the the bottom left-hand corner that pokes out into the Atlantic. Um, We tend to stick to Devon, although we do range into Cornwall and some of the other neighbouring counties occasionally. We began life in 1980, uh, last year was our 40th anniversary year. We were going to have a little bit, bit of a celebration, but COVID got in the way of that, unfortunately. Yes, yeah, I understand. Um, as it's got in the way of so many things. Yeah. The origins of it are interesting. There was a gentleman called Eric Blatchford, um, who's sadly no, no longer with us. He was working for the Dartmoor National Park, um, which is a quite a large national park, but in English terms, probably a small one in Canadian terms, um, in the 1970s. And part of his role was to maintain hedges and maintain stone walls and he just didn't have people who could do it um, the people with the skills were either coming towards the end of their working lives they were retired they were very elderly and he set up an apprenticeship scheme um, to train young people in these sorts of skills and that was successful and he got together with several like-minded people and in 1980 they set up the Devon Rural Skills Trust and we've been going ever since Um, We're not a huge charity. We do as much as we can do. It's mostly training courses that we run, and we can promote the traditional countryside crafts by running those training courses. And we fill them up um, because I think there's been a big change since since the 1970s, is that some of these skills, which were in danger of dying out, are rather more popular now. um, And people want to participate in them, they want to learn the skills, they want to be able to do it. It sounds very familiar in some ways to the situation that, that we have here in that there, there, is a, there is a sense that some of these kind of rural skills are, are in decline. Um, and certainly, you know, we have a lot of um, uh, stone fences and stone walls scattered throughout the, the province. Uh, and there was a time when it was kind of commonplace to have those uh, have those made. Uh, many of our older buildings are on dry stone foundations. Many of our outbuildings and barns and sheds and some of our fisheries buildings are on dry stone foundations. But it seems more and more that uh, the people who knew how to maintain those structures have uh, 
have started to disappear. There aren't, there aren't a lot of, um, of dry stone wallers, for example, left uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador. And so I was very interested when I came across the, the trust in the work that you were doing in uh, encouraging people to kind of uh, reinvigorate those skills. So it's exciting to hear that, 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 that there has been a shift since the 1970s and people are getting more and more interested in this. I think there's been quite a big resurgence my, my involvement doesn't go back to the 1970s, but I, th I think a lot more people are, are participating, a lot more people are interested. And the attractiveness of it, I think, is people want to be able to do these heritage crafts. They want to acquire the skills. And a lot of people seem to be drawn towards it. Not solely, but a lot of people um, seem to be drawn towards it because they're interested in environmental conservation. Mm -hmm. whether it's wildlife, whether it's wider issues, wider issues like the climate crisis, etc. And it's these skills are, to quite a large extent, I think it's fair to say that, um, a kind of gateway into environmental activism. How did you, how did you get involved? What was your introduction? Um, my introduction, I was doing a little bit of work in wildlife conservation. And some of the jobs we had to do were, what's well, hedge laying in particular in my case. And I wanted to get better at it. Um, if, you, if you're doing that job, um, you want to do it well. Um, so I started going on some of the Devon Rural Skills Trust courses. I kept going on them. It's like any, any of these crafts. You, you, you learn it. You learn the basics. But you've just got to keep at it. You've got to keep repeating it again and again um, to start re really acquiring some skill. I wouldn't describe myself as an expert, but, but um, yeah, I've, learned, I've learned a lot over the last, what, 10 or so years. And I, 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 I'm now a trustee of the charity, but uh, that's a slightly separate story. So tell me a little bit about the hedge laying, because I think that that's something that might be a little unfamiliar to some of the listeners here. Oh, it is a complicated subject. There are lots of different hedge laying styles in various parts of the UK, more than 30. The, the Devon style, which is the one we tend to, to, to work in most of the time, is um, a bank, an earth bank, usually faced with stone, sometimes turf, with trees and shrubs, small trees and shrubs running along the top of it. And you lay these trees, I'll, I'll explain that in a moment if you'd like me to, um, on the top of the bank. And the bank and the um, foliage on the top form the barrier. And that will keep out, or will stop livestock getting through. And if you get it bushy enough, it'll stop inquisitive little lambs getting out of their field and going into the next one, that sort of thing. Um, I'll explain laying if it helps you. Um, what you do, you've got, if you imagine a very small tree, let's say four or five inches in diameter, you use a, a tool called a bill hook or a, or a small ax, and you cut downwards very close to the base of it um, at about 45 degrees, roughly speaking. You cut about three quarters of the way through, then the tree will lay down on its side and you, it's still connected to the root system, so it'll carry on growing. So you're, I don't know if the tree's very happy to get chopped about like that, but you're leaving, um, you're, you're leaving it as a living thing and your hedge is a living thing. Um, and they're very attractive to look at. One of the problems we've got here is because a hedge is a living thing, it needs to be rejuvenated every sort of 10 to 15 years. You can't just leave it. Um, so it does need management. And how, how extensive are these uh, hedges and, and walls? How, how commonplace are they in Devon? I'm stick, I haven't talked about walls yet. I'm sticking to hedges. I'll, I'll get into walls, walls if you'd like me to in, in a little while. Um, 
since the Second World War, the UK has lost an awful lot of hedges. Um, the estimates vary. Yeah, no, since the Second World War in the United Kingdom, we've um, lost anything between um, 125,000 and 200,000 miles of hedgerow. Um, estimates vary, but somewhere in that region, which is an awful lot of hedgerow. That was done because agriculture was intensifying. We came off a little bit better in Devon. Um, I don't know how much we lost. It would be quite frightening, I think, but we did keep, keep quite a few. We have about 33,000 miles of hedgerow remaining in Devon. Most of those are going to be the hedge on a bank that I've described. And that represents about 20% of England's, and I'm, it's, it's the statistic I've got is for England only, England's um, species-rich hedgerow. So it's an awful lot. Unfortunately, quite a lot of it's not necessarily in good condition, but we've still got a lot of hedges in Devon. And they are, because there's so many left, internationally important. Um, the, the sort of concept of a laid hedge is done throughout the United Kingdom, in Ireland, parts of France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany. They've all been grubbed out. They've all had the same problems with hedges being grubbed out in the last sort of 70 to 80 years. In the Netherlands, they started earlier. Um, so what we've got left here is internationally important as a cultural artifact, as a historic artifact, and as a as wildlife habitat. Um, Hedgerows in, 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 in um, this country represent, well, it's, it's our largest semi-natural habitat for wildlife. Have the stone walls then, have they suffered a, sort of a similar uh, fate and resurgence? I don't think so, um, but I, I, I need to be careful where I'm going. Um, we tend to get stone walls here in areas where there aren't many trees. So the northern moors, coastal areas where the trees don't grow because of the Atlantic gales, etc. So if you've got more stone than trees, you use the stone and you build a wall. If you've got trees, the lower lying ground, you're probably going to um, use, you, you use trees and shrubs to, to, to make a hedge. Because the walls tended to be on more marginal agricultural land, I don't think they were destroyed um, as readily as the hedgerows, um, where productivity is, was, was so important during that post-war period. There will be an issue, I think, about skills, though. Um, the skills needed to build a stone wall. Um, and it's a difficult thing to get right. It looks easy, but it's not. Um, the same issues we were talking about earlier um, that occurred were occurring in the 1970s, where um, there just weren't practitioners who could go out and repair these walls, which over time will start tumbling down. Um, so, so yeah, there's an issue there, but I don't think they were grubbed up or knocked down or removed in the same way that, that, that hedgerows were in this country. Um, it's actually an interesting um, story in the southwest. If you go down to the far west of Cornwall, down, down near Land's End, you've got lots and lots of stone walls which date from the Bronze Age. And they're thought to be the oldest man-made objects anywhere in the world that are still being used for their original purpose. And that last, that original purpose thing is important because there's a lot of structures that predate them, but not being used for what they were built for in the first place. Um, so that's the sort of heritage we've got, um, and people overlook that. And the uh, both the, the stone walls and the hedges that you see in, in Devon, to what period do they generally date? <sighs> Two-thirds of our hedges in Devon um, are medieval origin or earlier. A lot of them got a lot earlier. Um, the stone walls, well, I wouldn't be able to give you a date for those, but... On, on Dartmoor, for example, the National Park I mentioned earlier, 
um, archaeologists in the last sort of 20 years or so have been turning up on field systems they called reeves, um, which date to the Bronze Age, and that's essentially a stonewall boundary um, separating fields um, on what looks like more now. I think it was a bit more um, agriculturally productive if we go back 3,000 years. Um, also on Dartmoor from, and also from the Bronze Age, um, they've turned up bits of material, I think it's hawthorn and some rose species, um, preserved in the peat, which show signs of having been um, cut to be laid as a hedge. Um, so it's been going on for a long time. It's, it's certainly something that we, we see here. You know, a settlement really here in, in Newfoundland started in the 1600s. And, and a lot of that was um, West Country uh, merchants who are coming over and, and bringing, bringing people from Devon and Wessex area, as well as some people, uh, fishermen from the, the southern parts of Ireland. Um, and, we, and we know that these rock enclosures, these rock walls are some of the oldest you know, pieces of built heritage that, that we have, but I don't think they've really received much um, kind of official recognition or study here. I think people have just, just kind of assumed they're a part of the landscape without really thinking too much about them. I'm going to go back to the beginning of, your, of what you just said. Um, two, two, two or three years ago, we, we, we laid a hedge at a place called Compton Castle, um, near where I am speaking to you from, um, which was the home of Sir Humphrey Gilbert who set up the first um, English colony in Newfoundland, and it would have been England then, and that's before the African Union was Scotland. Um, it was a ragged old hedge. It hadn't, hadn't been managed for sort of 30 years. I mean, it needed quite a lot of work done on it. Um, it had just got too big. Um, it's a shame. It, yeah, there's a cycle you have to follow. Um, but that was an old hedge. Um, he did a lot of work on the castle. He may have laid, laid out the hedges. That may have been a hedge Sir Humphrey Gil Gilbert knew. I don't know, but um, yeah, I thought that'd be interesting, perhaps for your audience. Um, remind me in the next part of the question, please. I'm trying to think what the next part of the question. Was. <laughs> yeah. you were talking. You were, you were talking about um, hedges and walls and things going over to North America. Yeah, um, I can answer that. Um, I believe, um, and it, it makes sense. Um, there was a reasonable amount of hedge laying done in the early days of, of, of um, British settlement in Canada, the, East, the Atlantic seaboard of the US, um, and people would probably take the style they were familiar with. Um, I think I said earlier, there's more than 30 different hedging styles in this country. Um, few, if any, of those survived. And um, there was also in the 19th century, um, quite a lot of gentlemen farmers would, 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 would put in hedges and lay them in the same way that was happening in this country during the enclosure period because it was fashionable. But again, very few of those survived. Um, I know there's a certain amount of popularity in going further west into Canada and Ontario and in some of the north, northeastern American states, United States states, um, to, to lay hedges. Where, it's not part, as I understand it, the kind of hedge that I'm trying to describe, which, which, which is laid and refreshed every, every so often. Um, it's not part of Native American culture. So how that fits with the people who, who, who were there before European settlement, I don't know. It would be nice to know an answer to that. 
we have a very typical fence style here that we call a riddle fence or a wriggle fence. Um, and it's, um, it's, a, it's a vertically woven fence. So like a, like a hurdle or wattle fence, but, but woven, woven vertically instead of horizontally. And the okay. origins of that are a little unclear, but, but certainly that type of uh, horizontal woven fence is, is more common in your part of the world, I think. I, I described a Devon hedge, which is laid, 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 laid on, on a bank. Most hedges are laid on level ground. So you put in a row of stakes, lay your trees down and wriggle them between those stakes. We call those wriggle hedges. If um, somebody who lives in a part of the UK where they, 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 they use that sort of style of hedge, hears me calling it, calling it a wriggle hedge, they might be insulted, I don't know. We call them wriggle hedges. But they're wriggling um, horizontally, not vertically. What you're describing is something I've never seen, but does sound very much like, like a hurdle in some respects. And a wattle hurdle um, would often be used to fill up as a sort of temporary um, thing to, to fill up gaps in hedges. And we do sometimes make those as well. But I can't help you, I can't help you with the wriggle hedge, I'm afraid, beyond, beyond what I've just said. Tell me about your training programs and, and how they work. Um, <laughs> at the moment, we haven't run a course for the last year for the obvious reason, but um, we run probably up to about two dozen courses a year. Um, they're day courses running from first thing in the morning till late afternoon when we're all too tired, we want to stop. Um, we concentrate on boundary skills, so hedges and walls that we've been talking about. We also um, do a little bit of coppice working, if, 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 if that um, makes sense um, on your side of the Atlantic. Some green woodworking, um, hurdle making, whether it's wattle hurdles that I talked about, or um, cleft hurdles, which are a slightly different thing, but they do the same job. Um, and that about fills up our year. We run a hedge laying competition um, each autumn, uh, which gets quite a lot of people coming along. It's quite a successful, successful competition. And um, we also run a training scheme, which is a bit like an apprenticeship. It goes on for a year or two, and that's designed for usually younger people who want to be the practitioners of the future. Um, and that, that fills up our year. Um, and for those of us who put a bit of time into the charity, it makes us uh, quite busy sometimes. So what, what sort of person comes and takes these uh, courses and training opportunities? It's all sorts, really. Um, some people will, will, will come on courses because they bought a little bit of land and they want to lay some hedges themselves. Some people still, um, very much a minority now, come from an agricultural background and um, want to manage their hedges in the old-fashioned way rather than um, using a mechanical thresher on the back of a tractor. Some people are just curious. Some people are interested in the um, idea of practicing a heritage craft. A lot of people, as I've said, are coming at it from the point of view of environmental conservation. Um, I think that's a really big draw now. And if we think about that time period, the 1970s through to now, um, environmental concerns have grown and grown, haven't they? I'm curious about, you know, as you're out doing this work, what is the response of, 
you know, say older rural people, when they see you, when they see you out repairing these hedges, what, what do they say to you? They love it. Um, they love it. Pretty much everybody loves it, actually. Um, people, people, people who like the older people who, who remember this being done. Um, yeah, they'll, 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 they'll be, 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 be really pleased to see, to, to see it being continued. Um, I've lost count of the number of passers-by who just say, "Well, that looks wonderful." Um, it's nice to seeing this 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 thing still being done. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's not talked about much. There's not that many of us who can actually do it. Fewer still that can do it well, but people love it. It's curious, isn't it? Um, it's part of our heritage in, in in the UK, and deep inside of us, I think we all know that. Is there a is there a particular skill or maybe a subset of skills that you are still concerned about that you think needs a bit more work? I suppose the best way to answer that we have a, a, a charity in this country called the Heritage Crafts Association, and they publish a red list of endangered crafts, um, which uses the same sort of criteria as the um, red list used in, in wildlife conservation. And they have a critically endangered set of crafts, endangered and viable. Now, if we look at the critically endangered list, there's a thing called a Devon stave basket, um, made in, in this county for, for, for donkey's ears. Some of them inevitably will have gone over to Newfoundland um, during, during, during the period of the, the fishing trade. Um, that's critically endangered because there was only one practitioner left who could make them. Um, a couple of other people have um, started making them now. I would really love to have a go. Um, but in the last 12 months, it's been difficult to do these sorts of things. So fingers crossed, I'll be, I'll be able to have a go at making one of these baskets for full on. But it's the number of practitioners. You know, you can imagine you've got one person in the world who can do it. It's, 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 it's vulnerable, isn't it? Very vulnerable. Um, the endangered list of the things we do, uh, and of course, this... Um, there's all sorts of non-countryside crafts in, 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 in these lists, but the thing, thing we do that is endangered is hurdle making. Um, the wattle hurdle I talked about and the cleft hurdle, again, too few people do it. Um, and it's the economics. You know, it takes a bit of time. It's not, it's not viable. Um, you have to sell them for too much money to, 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 to make an income. When we get down to the viable crafts, most of what we do, coppice working, dry stone walling, hedge laying, some of the green woodworking, um, that's considered to be viable. Um, and that will be because there are now quite a lot of practitioners, um, enough to keep it going into the next generation and the generation beyond that. As far as hedge laying is concerned, I suspect if you look closely, some of the individual regional styles might be more vulnerable than others. But um, if you can lay a hedge in one, you can probably, with a bit of work, manage to figure out how to lay it in the other styles. So, these crafts, most of the things we do are fortunately now viable. That's that's quite a, a testament to you know the work that you have been doing in a way, you know, that that these skills continue to, to move forward and you train in train in new people. And a lot of other people too. Yeah. We're not the only organization, but um, mm. we do get people coming on our courses from the wider southwest of England and elsewhere in the country because there aren't that many organizations like ours, like ours that do exist. Um, but we're not the only one. 
I think one of the interesting things that you, you've alluded to is the, is the importance of regionally specific skills. It's certainly something that we uh, struggle with here a bit sometimes. You know, we have a small population that's spread over quite a large area here in, in Newfoundland. And, um, and so sometimes, you know, the skills and traditions diverged a little bit from each other. Uh, and so the way that people did thing in one region might be slightly different, like how they built a wall or, or uh, you know, what kind of materials they used might vary from place to place. And I think sometimes there's almost um, a flattening of tradition, you know, that people kind of learn one way of doing it and then sort of impose that in other other regions. Uh, and one thing I would really love to see, you know, as a as a folklorist and as a heritage conservationist is to really come to a better understanding of what some of those very specific uh, regional skills are. If you're if you're traveling somewhere, you know, outside of of Devon, um, can can you look at a at a hedge or uh, a stone wall and say, oh, that's that's not a Devon hedge because you know because it's done in a yes yes way? yeah yes um, you can um, it might be the species composition but often it's 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 where they're going and 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 and, and, and what they're doing um, in certain parts of England and I'll stick to England rather than Wales Scotland Northern Ireland for this. Certain parts of England, um, the countryside was enclosed a long, long time ago, Anglo-Saxon period in, in many cases. Um, and what you see there are hedges that go winding in funny ways and very sinuous. And you can tell that that's um, ancient countryside, um, which is the term that the um, landscape historian Oliver Rackham um, came out with. If you go into parts of England, a big chunk of central southern England and the Midlands, which were enclosed during the 18th and 19th centuries. Prior to that, they'd been open fields. Um, the field boundaries are all square. They're, they're all straight lines. Um, you, can you can tell that straight away. Um, they've been laid out by surveyors. Um, and that was enclosure for you. Prior to that, the um, people living in the countryside were able to grow crops and graze animals on, on these open fields. And it was shared out amongst the people. Um, dare I say it, that the, the rich managed to um, fill for the lot of it and um, got richer. But you can tell um, a, 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 a modern, oh, a, a relatively modern hedge in um, compared to the very old ones um, in, in, in that landscape because they're, they're, they're all in straight lines. Um, they're not on a bank as a rule and they're usually hawthorn. Very pretty in May when all you just see hedge after hedge full of white blossom. Gorgeous. Well, maybe maybe that's part of our uh, Devon heritage here, because I, I can't think of a property that's a straight line. Those curvy lines go back to the Anglo-Saxon period. So um, don't know, don't, don't know how that works. <laughs> well, Chris, this has been fabulous. It's been a great uh, treat to, to have a chat with you and inspiring to hear about the work that you're that you're doing. Um, what what do you think is in the is in the trust's future? What would you like to see see happen next in your next forty years? Oh, the next forty years. Well, 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 well. Let's hope we're still laying hedges and building walls and doing all this in forty years' time. Um, it looks like we will be. Um, like I said, it's I think more popular now than it was um, back in back in the nineteen seventies. I think people are interested in it. In it. 
let us hope that the environmental concerns that I've mentioned do become more important to more people because we're stuffed if they don't um, as, as, a, as, as, as a planet. And let's hope that we can contribute our little bit to, 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 to that um, continued understanding. Um, but it, it depends. We, 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 like I said, we're a small charity. Um, there's only so much we can do. We do we do do quite a lot, but we're not going to ever do huge amounts unless we get I, a lot bigger. I know. I, I know what that's like. Yeah. Well, thank you for this, and and yeah, keep up the good work. I'll, I'll, we're planning uh, of doing um, some kind of. A traditional Newfoundland Riglan fence uh, workshop at some point in the future. So I'll have to send you some information about how we're doing. No, yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if a Devon hedge was ever um, exported to Newfoundland. Um, very, very close links between Devon and Newfoundland via the, the fishery, mm. um, particularly in the early years when it was migratory. People would go over in the spring and come back in, in the autumn um, with their fish. They usually sell the fish in continental Europe, actually, but um, very close linkages to, to, to the two places. Um, if you see a hedge, um, it'll be a bit ragged now on a bank, um, looking like it was originally done in the Devon style. You know what you got there. Um, and um, if you want to, if you want to rejuvenate that, we'll all we'll, we'll all be on the next plane out. Or, <laughs> Sounds or, good. Or, 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 or the next boat, which um, <laughs> might be a bit more climate friendly. I might and hold you to I, I noticed something. Yes. Um, might be useful researching this. Um, the town of Paynton, where I'm speaking from, um, on the south coast of Devon, used to be famous for growing a particular um, variety of cabbage called a flat pole. And apparently a lot of those, it's a very early season cabbage, a lot of those were grown specifically for the Newfoundland trade. Oh, interesting. And they'd go out on the boats to Newfoundland. Um, I guess it'll be eaten by the time you, they got to the other side of the ocean. But um, yeah, they were grown specifically for the Newfoundland trade. Well, as far as, I, as, as far as I'm aware, research for me, yeah. As, as far as I'm aware, um, that variety of cabbage no longer exists. Ah. Um, there's no seed. So if you've got anybody in Newfoundland um, growing a heritage variety of cabbage, which is called a flat pole and originated in the southwest of England, um, let me know because um, you might <laughs> that might be quite a find if you can get the seed. I know exactly who to ask. We, uh, several episodes ago in the podcast, we interviewed with someone who was doing work on heirloom seed collection. So I'll, uh, I'll have to, I'll have to look into that cabbage. Who knows? Newfoundlanders love their cabbage, so <laughs> there might be a an ancient, uh, an ancient connection there that we can uh, explore together. Thanks, Chris. That's great. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>